0: Welcome to Skeptics, the weekly show where we take a deep dive into the world of tech, news, politics and research. I'm Niana.
1: And I'm Josh and we are recording this minutes after the <laughs> resignation of Liz Truss. Now this is, as Niana said in the intro, this is a politics podcast, increasingly a politics podcast, uh, although uh, how it relates to tech is normally why we talk about politics. But uh, yeah, in a very um, in some ways quite an analogue uh, political story is this resignation of Liz Truss, but of course it was playing out over to Twitter the entire time before Trust actually resigned, so we have been paying a lot of attention to that.
0: I know, it says so much I think about politics is that you expect to hear news from Twitter now. Yeah. Um, like, I, I did actually put it on TV, I think for these kind of big moments there's something about watching it on TV that feels quite Quite a historical occasion, but in this case, yeah, as Josh said, we are a minute. We're still very much thinking about it, but trying to think about other things too in this episode. Well, you watched it on TV. I actually watched it via
1: the Daily Star's Lettuce stream uh, because <laughs> they, they cut in the feed of Liz Truss, which is actually uh, less delayed than the the iPlayer. Oh yeah, that's true. Online, so that was that was quite good. Um, yeah, so we're going to wait and see, what, obviously, what happens with with Liz Truss. Obviously, that will have implications for all sorts of UK policy and global tech policy as well, which we will cover in due course. But uh, yeah, why don't we get our, uh, get the ball rolling with
0: some more stories from the world of tech? Yes, and on a completely different note, but uh, an even more controversial figure, Kanye West, <laughs> uh, has agreed to buy a right-wing platform Parler. Now, we've talked about Parler a lot, and Josh is someone who has a lot of opinions on the platform. Josh, what did you think when you saw this news story? I have to say, it was a weird colliding of worlds for me in terms of the social media platform, And this huge, huge, huge name rapper who obviously has become more than just a rapper in recent years and months, he's become sort of a representation perhaps of, uh, in some ways, some kind of right wing. What did you think about this?
1: Yeah, well, I got sent this story by about 10 different people because they were not listening <laughs> and saying, what does this mean? Um, so I'm going to have to have a think about how, how, if at all, to work this into the into the PhD, um, hmm. which uh, obviously creates lots of pun potential, which is which is good, <laughs> if nothing else. But no, I mean, my first reaction is this, this is, I guess, another media tycoon trying to buy mm-hmm. their own bespoke social network. Obviously, we've been covering lots about Elon Musk's um, quixotic attempt to, to buy Twitter, uh, Donald Trump set up his own Truth social um, network last year. After being after Parler actually tried to sign an exclusivity deal with Trump to bring Trump to the platform, which which fell through. And now, as you say, Kanye is is um, buying Parler. Um, on the surface, it seems like an unusual match, but actually, having looked a lot at, at Parler's kind of rhetoric over the years. Um, with respect to free speech, and given uh, Kanye's recent uh, crusading on, on that mm-hmm. front, uh, that actually is is a bit of interesting overlap. I think you know, Parler, even before Truth Social and and Musk, even before um, Musk was promising to bring back free speech to Twitter, Parler set out to be the home of constitutional free speech. A little tidbit for you from my thesis: that the first splash screen Parler had in two thousand and eighteen when they were launching, they had. Constitutional free speech coming soon. They'd spelt speech wrong. They spelt speech S P E A C H. Um, that's, so, a, that's a difficult
0: typo to make that, that is that not is an easy... impressive. <laughs> that is impressive so uh, just to give you some
1: sense of what we're working with but the, the, the platform has evolved a bit but but Nana what was your takeaway when you first saw the story?
0: yeah I think um, you know this has been a week a lot of Kanye news um, I know this isn't really what we talk about but you know he's he's been interviewed this week and talked about a lot of things uh, I would say well beyond the realm of being controversial and you know just into hate speech talking about the George right. Floyd Murder as being fake, um, talking about, uh, you know, really anti-Semitic views and a very public platform. And so this parlor story has kind of been pulled in with all these things. Um, so did he say it for shock value? Did he say it because he actually intends to buy it? I think it seems like an even more nascent um, story in some ways than when we reported about Elon Musk and Twitter. And as we know, that went back and forth, back and forth.
1: I think that's true. Although I think to an extent, because Parlour is that much smaller than Twitter, yeah. there'll be less sort of over. Mm. You know, the, the financial deal is, is smaller. I did um, <coughs> because I'm signed up to Parler's emails. So I got there. Uh, an email uh, you know a newsletter um, from the current CEO George Farmer pretty much as soon as the agreement was set to be made so mm-hmm. I think it won't take as long for this deal to get done as it, as it has been for Musk but as you absolutely say like, we shouldn't take anything ground <laughs> until it's signed on the dotted line yeah oh I
0: would love to have access to that and mailing the names on that mailing list huh? <laughs> I know <laughs> um, so, but, but I think it's kind of you know in a similar vein to I guess the um, Trump as you mentioned the Trump thing the Elon Musk thing it's this idea of no one wants to listen to me on these traditional platforms I'm going to go and find a new platform uh, and perhaps it makes sense to repurpose not repurpose even to, to, to revive an existing platform for this rather than try and build a new one as we've as we kind of mentioned when we talked about the Elon deal uh, people tend to flock to platforms that already exist that they already have to you know not to go to a new platform that they have no idea about just to talk to their very niche circle of friends and colleagues um, at the same time I think the fact that we've all heard some of the points that Connie has made this week suggests that he is actually getting a lot of airtime on these um, platforms even mm-hmm. if you know he suggests that he's not getting the airtime in the way that he's speaking but rather other people reporting what he what he's saying um, it's a really—it's one of those kind of very ironic things about free speech, is that the people who complain about it are the people that we seem to be hearing from all the time. Yes. Um, <laughs> and as we often
1: say on the show, quoting Renee Resta, you know, freedom of speech doesn't equal freedom of reach. And I think mm. that what people like Trump and Musk and West expect uh, in terms of how much amplification they get is very little to the average user of these platforms mm. actually has. I think the other interesting angle about Parler, and this is sort of the focus of my study is that it has itself, it would say, been the victim of cancel culture. Mm. So it being taken down by Apple, Google and Amazon uh, immediately after the capital riots, that ironically gave it a new lease of life, at least rhetorically, um, to be able to portray its crusade against big tech. So even when a figure such as Trump gets banned from a single platform like Twitter... Now you're seeing actors like Google and Apple uh, sort of higher up the tech stack, taking these kind of mm. decisions about who gets to stay online and who doesn't. So this will, I think, refocus uh, attention on those decision makers as much as the rivals that Parler is hoping to the plant like to Yeah, have
0: it does feel like a really formalised um, take on Kanye's sort of political views as well. I mean, I don't know if a Parler, maybe you can tell us more about the kind of people who flock to Parler. Mm. Is it people who formally kind of declare themselves as being part of the alt-right or the right wing? Because Kanye's... Views uh, fly all over the place and change all the time. Maybe this isn't actually a, a platform that does represent his views, but rather a snapshot of a moment in time.
1: Yeah, certainly. I, I think um, in terms of parlor, yeah, it's it's long had a, a long-standing right or just you know far-right bias. Um, and also had a weird flocking of uh, over the over the years, Saudi and Brazilian users at different times, reflecting the sort of authoritarian tendencies in, in that country, in those countries. So yeah, Parler is, is um, maybe more politically uh, ideologically stable, if you like, or consistent uh, maybe than than Kanye. But I think, as you say, at this moment in time, they are kind of well aligned on these issues. We should also say that actually Parler is. Um, uh, CEO George Farmer is mm. a, a British um, guy mm. um, who is married to Candace Owens, who's a, a right-wing mm. provocateur in, in the US as well. So clearly part of this kind yeah. of the tech ecosystem.
0: Who's recently also been sharing photos um, in the last week with Kanye West, because some of Kanye's uh, points have been, he wore a shirt that said White Lives Matter, yeah. and Candace Owens is very supportive of him doing that. Um, so it's interesting how this crosses both political lines and state lines and country lines as well and yet I don't really know if I would have seen um, you know people who want to hear Kanye speak as being a lot of kind of people from Saudi Arabia or like people from abroad I I think he still regardless of whatever else he's done you know he still has a reputation as being a musician and Mm -hmm. people who follow him people are interested in what he's saying might be people who've you know, on the political spectrum in some way, but uh, largely it's also a lot of fans of his music who are mm-hmm. wondering when he might, if he ever, might come back to the person that they believe he used to be or the viewpoints they believe he used to hold. Um, and Parler kind of or, or almost formalizes his move away from the mainstream, in, in that sense, mm-hmm. um, it's also a response, obviously, to being to being disbarred from Twitter yeah. and the sense in which these platforms act as spaces where these people where these people go when they're not welcome anywhere else. Yeah, and and the
1: question going forward is how those um, channels, how those platforms get re-channeled into the major platforms that the majority Mm -hmm. of people use. So even though Trump is no longer on Twitter, it's pretty easy to find out what he thinks because a lot of journalists will quote him on Truth Social. And of course, when he was president, he had a a massive platform as well. Um, So I think in some ways, these platforms, these these fringe platforms are kind of like staging Mm grounds and training grounds for... Particular memes, views, and and so on, which then get kind of recycled back into the mainstream. Yeah. That is how yeah. Trump initially uh, became president. As as I argued, was was by kind of. Getting the attention from Twitter, which was then mainstream but outside the mainstream of, of political journalism, mm. uh, and um, channeling that influence into getting onto Fox News and, and getting a foot in the presidential debate. So it's very interesting to see this new generation of, uh, of fringe platforms, which may still, I think, despite the fact that not that many people use them, mm. you know, Parler has. Yes, 15 million? 15 million registered users. I'm sure fewer people use it. Yeah. Um, nonetheless, you know, that, that can still have an outsized impact on political debates. But moving on to uh, another... Uh, story that's uh, making news uh, this 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 week, and this is a story about TikTok, which is a platform that, of course, we talk about a, a lot. But I think uh, a fair reflection of its impact uh, on in social media. But Naina, no, tell us about TikTok and work councils. Yes,
0: um, so this is actually a story that um, has been kind of quiet as regards to TikTok news. A lot of news with when it comes to TikTok, um, you know, it's is very splashy. I think this is actually a story that TikTok is deliberately tried to not bring up too much, and that's because it's related to unions or work councils, which um, is something that we often talk about when it it comes to to tech, to big tech giants, uh, their kind of ongoing battle with unions. So just a few days ago, actually, um, staff in Berlin at TikTok have formed a work council. Um, This is a kind of representation for about 450 employees. What that means is, You know, it means that they're like they have they can make requests, uh, they can improve working conditions. It's a dialogue between employees and management. In some ways, it's kind of a, you know, there's the specific issues regarding content moderation, which is something we've talked about a lot, not just with TikTok, but with other platforms also. um, And to raise awareness of stressful working conditions and poor pay. So this is actually a really big move for TikTok. Um, It's a big move not only because tiktok is kind of you know as we've said a really important um a really important mover in this space it's also very very unusual for a chinese owned owned social media platform um and it's just a big deal for content moderators and, and tech workers fighting for a fair deal we, we mentioned last year and we mentioned again and again that unions are the kind of the big story um really and even though you know that's something that's always ticking on and always going on the uh, the council in berlin was only formed 2 days ago mm-hmm. <laughs> so very 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 current um though it was voted on a little bit earlier than that and it's expected that other com- that, that other countries and other cities will follow um and it is a big deal you know to have a tiktok working council presence in Europe in the EU Mm. so it's kind of a big deal um, on so many levels and though we can't yet know how it'll impact other tech companies and we can't yet know how it'll impact um, TikTok around the world I think it's a really positive start Um, and yeah what did you think of of this news story?
1: Well, I think it reflects the uh, speed at which um, different platforms come and go. Mm. It's actually relatively quickly that this council has been set Mm. up. You know, social media companies don't tend to have uh, formal unions um, associated with them, although, as we've been talking about, slowly that is happening. This has happened much more quickly. And I think maybe this is more of an expectation now amongst tech workers uh, in offices, uh, whether in Berlin or or London or or wherever, um, to actually actually set these, these councils up. Whether my my concern is always um, how well because obviously it seems like councils are distinct from unions in yeah. the sense that they re, they reflect particular members of a, a, a single company right as opposed to unions across the yes. industry. Um, so what I'd be curious to know is how this has an effect on the different kinds of tech work that is done at a uh, network like TikTok. Obviously, mm-hmm. there's high level policy decisions and there's a lot of content moderation as well. Mm-hmm. So I'd be, I'd be curious to find out how well this reflects um, sort of the, the work that goes on all the way down, down the stack, if you like.
0: Yeah, that was one of the questions I had as well. Work councils are an established thing in the EU. They're a legal right for companies of a certain size, um, but they are different to unions. And what that can mean is it might dilute the power, perhaps, of a specific work council. Uh, It can also mean that a work council has a lot of intelligence and knowledge about a specific company and the way that a company works. But it can mean that it's difficult to get a sense of what working conditions are like across an industry. Mm. Um, it, It seemed to me, and this may be a little bit... Um, you know this is just my opinion on this is that maybe having a work council is almost a way to thwart the union a little bit uh, from because the word union is so is poison to so many big tech companies. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a word and it's a concept that companies like Amazon have been fighting for so long. Mm-hmm. Obviously this work council does work with Verdi, which is a German uh, union. Um, and so it's not like that they're separate or that they have different views completely, they just represent different people at different stages. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I wondered if the work council was, you know, the growing power of the work council could have an impact on, you know, the need for people to unionize um, because the size of a union is likely to be very, very, very different to the size of a work council.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think what adds an interesting wrinkle to this is that. TikTok is um, one of many social media platforms, but a particularly large and Mm. rapidly growing one. Mm. Um, And clearly some issues that are faced by TikTok workers will also be encountered by others. But I think, as you say, it is maybe quite a good thing as well, at least in a supplementary sense, to have this kind of uh, knowledge and and skill base uh, and experience within a particular organisation as a council Because TikTok is now now so big and and so ubiquitous. There's interesting um, elements to this as well in terms of the specific provisions of a council vis-a-vis a a union, where under German law, um, employees who initiate the election process uh, uh, for council members are protected against dismissal for the duration of their term. Um, And Mm -hmm. this has raised some uh, questions because uh, it seems that one employee who'd been campaigning for the works council Uh, had left the company after they were reportedly pressured by management to quit, which suggests that there may be, you know, now that the council is being set up, there may be protections in place for actually the work of sustaining the council itself, which Mm. I know that, you know, certainly in terms of Google and other companies, there's been suggestions that workers who have engaged in union organizing, Amazon as well, have been forced out for doing so. So potentially there's more legal protection for for workers engaged in this work.
0: Yeah, we are seeing you know different kinds of news on this. Um, you know, from other tech companies. So, Amazon workers recently voted against unionizing in an upstate New York warehouse. It's not necessarily true that it's all moving in the same direction. But in general, we, we are seeing that social media companies are recognizing labor movements, to broadly say, in a different way to um, you know even this time last year or this mm. or pre-pandemic. And this kind of work council um, has actually been something that um, the German team or the German kind of branch of TikTok have tried to instigate since the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So it seems like the pandemic was a kind of watershed moment for people considering their working hours, considering their pay, considering perhaps what it means to, I mean, just like the, the, the you know the mass inequality that we mm-hmm. saw of how mm-hmm. the pandemic affected different people differently. So in general, as we've said, there are some wrinkles in this. It, do, it isn't necessarily that a work council will immediately be the answer or the solution to all of TikTok's problems. Of course, there are many problems that don't even come under the remit of the work council. But I think broadly, um, it is quite good news. And it's also surprising news um, for a company like TikTok, which we haven't seen necessarily being as transparent as some other tech companies. Yeah, (laughs) agreed. Great. So we move now to a different uh, internet giant in a different part of the world, And that is Kakao. So the co-chief executive of of Kakao Talk, which is South Korea's largest mobile messaging app, has resigned after a big outage this weekend. Josh, tell us more.
1: That's right. Uh, as you say, um, this resonation has occurred in the context of a massive outage um, of this uh, major South Korean app. I'm sure South Korean listeners will be very familiar with it, mm-hmm. Kakao Talk, which has over uh, 47 million users in South Korea. Off the top of my head, I don't know the population of South Korea, but I think it's a sizable chunk of... <laughs> I don't the even South- want to guess. It could South be really American embarrassingly population. wrong. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Um, but it has raised questions not just about um, this particular app, but also the, the sheer size and scale of um, the app and its importance to South Koreans. Um, you know, this started. It, this, this sort of highlights, I think, the the continued uh, stubborn relevance of infrastructure to the internet. Because you know, this is a, a, an offline fire, if you like, mm. um, which took down this this online uh, platform. Uh, most of the firm's services have been restored by Wednesday, reports the BBC, while their users are reporting that some functions are remaining uh, unstable. And yeah, this is sort of foregrounded in the South Korean debate, the, the dominance of Kakao Talk uh, as, as, a, plat- as in a sort of essential infrastructural platform for South Koreans. And it's led the president of, of South Korea. Um, to say that the government would examine the dominance of Kakao Services as they were, quote, like a fundamental national telecoms mm. network as far as the public is concerned. And I think that really raises some some interesting questions. Yeah.
0: Okay. So I looked it up. Fifty-two million people in South Korea. In South Korea and wow. So. Forty-seven million. Forty-seven million is
1: a huge. Unbelievable.
0: Okay. Wow. wow. So it's almost like in the UK, if the BBC owned uh, Facebook and all, right, yeah. and also owned, you know, like all the Facebook. Offshoot companies like Mm. Instagram and WhatsApp. So that's the closest equivalent we can give to British... I mean, if you, like me, didn't know very much about cacao before this, um, I think it's really hard to imagine that level of dominance, I think. Yeah. Um, And yeah, that is really fascinating uh, to to think about the the physical nature, I guess, of the internet Mm. and infrastructure, um, and the idea that actually outages, which we, we talked about this a little bit when the Facebook outage happened last year, that, and how that means different things to different people, but mm-hmm. super like reliance and heavy reliance on one company obviously creates this this situation where uh, an outage is more than just kind of a joke and it it's more than just being offline for a couple of hours. It interrupts business. It interrupts people's livelihoods. Mm-hmm. It's something that we, you know, we, we can't overstate anymore. The importance of these apps and platforms on people's lives.
1: Yeah, exactly. And we should say that also, um, Kakao the company is more than Kakao Talk the yes. service. Much like many of the other multi-mega platforms mm-hmm. that we have, uh, it covers lo- lots of different services, music apps, and, and fashion and wallets and so on. Um, so, and of course, those I think were all affected by yeah. by the outage. So this does again begin to, to show the, the the sheer scale of, of a company like this. I think what's interesting mm-hmm. as well is that you know this is absolutely huge as we've heard in South Korea and almost I think non-existent um, Hmm. elsewhere has a a Japanese subsidiary but I think that's that's about it so I think that's also another interesting consideration here because um, you have a company which is you know almost exclusively used by South Koreans used by almost exclusively uh, almost all South Koreans um, which um, really creates I think even more of a symbiosis potentially between the government and Mm. because if you're the South Korean government yeah, they're going to analyse or examine the reliance on Kakao Talk, um, but it's clearly already got to this point where Kakao is a massive uh, company, and I think we we have started to see in certainly in the West, you know, great tension between massive tech companies yeah. um, and the state. Um, but perhaps this is a situation where there's actually has traditionally been more symbiosis between the two, and only now you start to see the. A bit more friction between them but I think mm. there's lots of questions that are going to remain to be asked
0: on this yeah i think that um you know the idea that Kakao is i mean cacao talk obviously as we said different messaging servers but they've expanded into like online payments games mobile banking uh, you know ride hailing restaurant booking it's almost similar to um the systems in the system in china where you have one app that kind of does everything WeChat. like you, you pay yeah wechat you pay your rent and you chat and you go on dates and everything um and you know, I don't mean to compare them infrastructurally because I don't know enough about cacao to do that, but I will say that whatever else, you know, whatever else is behind the scenes here in terms of privacy, in terms of you know, think about choice. Uh in, in a country where you have this many users using something like cacao talk, being mm-hmm. offline, being away from that app is likely to have massive, a massive impact on mm-hmm. your personal, and professional life, um, as well as possibly possibly your ability to like get home safe or Mm. your ability to go out for dinner and so what kind of choice do people have in a country or in a community where one app is extremely dominant we talk so much about this idea with facebook or, or meta as we should say in the west you know what kind of should we be using facebook should we not be not using facebook maybe the kind of more interesting question is is this the most that we can sort of imagine for ourselves what does our over reliance on one app mean? Um, not only for issues of outages, which are relatively rare but do happen quite often, mm-hmm. um, but also for questions of choice and enjoyment. And are we getting the most out of the apps? Are we getting? Are we? Are we using the app that? We, we want to use, or are we using an app because the norms and you know, the, yeah, the social norms around us have kind of made us use that app. Yeah, and I think from
1: the perspective
0: of users, sometimes it does take
1: a massive outage or mm. some extrinsic shock like this to actually, um, yeah, shake us up a bit and, and make us think what we actually rely on, what we truly need to rely on. And clearly, you know, many people rely on many, like, truly rely on many services that Kakao provides. And how much of that is just um, a matter of choice or convenience or, or whatever else, and whether you have more choices. But as you say, clearly, network effects are really strong in terms of keeping people tied to platforms, particularly when you have this kind of horizontal integration between different functions provided by by a company like mm-hmm. Kakao. Um So yeah, I think I think how the company responds, you know, how um, much effect this has on. Uh, social media, communication, everything else in South Korea, mm. it's going to be interesting to watch. But I think it's, yeah, it is an interesting case of a bit, as you say, in some ways a bit like China and WeChat, where um, it's one service which is predominantly used in, in a particular country and the impact impact that has on what the government does next in terms of things like antitrust and, and mm. uh, uh, you know, designating things as utilities and, and things like that.
0: Yeah, of course. And one of the big things that we always try and talk about in the show is, how these apps affect people in other countries, even if we don't use them at all in the UK or or Mm -hmm. in the West, because um, there's just so much... I mean, it's, it's fascinating to me to even look at this story and to think about the dependence that's had on one specific app in Korea that I have never used before. And yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously, at the start, you, you sort of suggested it would be like if, if the BBC, or, you know, if it's a single company, I suppose the closest to that in the UK is Meta, which is, of course, not a Yes, of course. Um, but it is interesting to consider what a, what a, a British-specific platform mm. would, would be like and to consider some of the alternatives that that might might consist of
0: yeah of course you know the idea of small companies being able to assert their dominance or to be able to challenge these larger companies something that we often talk about and we maybe try and practice a little bit in our like messaging Mm. and social media life Mm -hmm. uh, with apps like signal Mm -hmm. and things like that but ultimately it's hard to avoid being on things like WhatsApp, it's hard to push back against the cultural norm. But anyway, that is a fascinating story and one that, yeah, I look forward to seeing what the updates on that are. In and indeed, all you know, both the other stories, perhaps especially the Kanye West story, because. I have no idea where it could go. We, we could, in a few hours, uh, see a tweet that says that Kanye is done with it. and He's not going to buy Twitter yeah. anymore. <laughs> yeah, but
1: I think it, I think that the more general trend that it points to is just it's, it's really interesting. To the, what it says about rich people being able to get access to mm. their own bespoke platforms. Yes, and, and uh, that uh, that
0: publicly sharing the, that they are going to do that as well, well yeah, because that's, almost that's whether whatever happens, you know, it's it's clearly something that matters to people like Elon Musk and to Kanye West. Yeah. And that almost willed it into existence—the idea that we should be caring about freedom of speech in this specific way. Yeah, exactly.
1: So um, while we've been talking, I don't think there's been any uh, <laughs> very up-to-the-minute updates on on British politics besides that bombshell news that Liz Truss has resigned after just forty-four days in office. Um, but. Nonetheless, like it, it you know, this, these are very strange times uh, in in British politics. Now, what, what do you, who, who do you think is going to be prime minister? Oh gosh, you making me recording? solidify
0: my thought. And this could be. This might be one of those episodes that, if you listen back in a day yeah. or two days, I just I sound like I'm making the stupidest claims. Um, it's very difficult to see past the fact that we, we talked about this briefly when we came in about how. It's only been 45 days. The contenders who seemed like a bad idea 45 days days ago still seem like a bad idea. Mm. I I thought that Rishi would, would win um, mm. this. It's hard for me to see past that now. Um, I do think he presents again. I don't think he looks great. Oh,
1: God. Cool. Apparently Boris is expected to stand.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're hearing it live here, folks. I mean, not live by the time we <laughs> yeah. release this, but... Live to us. I mean, surely, surely not. Surely, surely not. not. Apparently he's getting on a plane. Oof, oof. Okay. Well, um I I like to think I don't know. It's very difficult to see inside the inner workings of the Tory party and what they think is a good idea. I would guess I would guess Rishi Sunak if I had to if I had to bet, but I really don't know yet the idea of Boris putting his name back in the hat is uh frightening and does feel a bit like we're stuck in a time loop.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think what we need is a general election. I think the people need to Yeah, Yeah, them.
0: that seems like the, I mean, that's the only thing really that we can probably all collectively get behind is that yeah. we need a general election by the end of the year. Um, and hopefully we need, <laughs> that'll straighten out a lot of these messes. Yeah.
1: But yeah. <laughs> but looking ahead to our own show, so we will be back next week with more um, tech talk. We also have more exciting guests. We really enjoyed uh, having mm. Paul and Hannah on, on last week, I hope everyone did as well um but yeah later in the term we've got even more um special guests at the oia uh, oia um default cohort to talk about their research which is going to be beyond great. yeah and beyond uh, but we always have to have more guests uh, particularly now that we're back and recording in the same space regularly so if there are oxford based people who want to come in and chat to us or if there's people out there further out in the world who, who want to uh, skype in or, or zoom in or whatever uh, i'm very happy to talk more about tech and, and get even more perspectives on These massively important issues.
0: Yeah, or if you just want to talk about Liz Trust for an hour, well, maybe we can take that offline.
1: (laughs) Yeah, sure, we're having a lot.
0: Thanks so much, Josh. Uh, See you next time. time. Bye. Bye.